and the Spirit, and the bride says, Come. And let him who hears say, Come. And let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him come and take freely of the water of life. Daily, Jesus invites us into his presence. Daily, Jesus invites us to lay our burdens down. He invites us to give him everything that we are, everything that we want to be, and everything that we will become. Because it is only through Jesus that we can have life and life eternal. This morning, I want to share with you about the invitation. I can't help but, when I hear the song, 10,000 Reasons, I can't help but tear up. Because seven weeks ago, this very, seven weeks ago on a Sabbath just like this, I was sitting in a hospital room with my wife of almost 28 years, watching her die. At least that's what the doctors pretty much were telling us. I don't know if you've been there. I don't know if you've been with somebody else there, but it's one of those most um, it's really challenging because you have no control over what's happening. And every morning as I made the drive from Pleasant Hill to CPMC in San Francisco for about 10 days or 12 days, I would turn that song on and I'd go, okay, God, I don't know why this is happening. But you said to trust you. So I'm going to trust you. And about a week after we, uh, my wife was, um, it, my wife was um, just about this far from being put on the top of the transplant list. And one evening we were sitting there in the hospital and she was crying and I was like, oh, I'm struggling like everything and She's crying, and I'm like, oh my goodness, how am I going to deal with this? Do I put on my pastoral personality? Do I put on the husband personality? What do I do? And so I just looked over and I said, hey, uh, Tammy, what, what's going on? And she said, you know, I'm crying because probably tomorrow they're going to put me on the top of the transplant list, and that means that somebody's going to die so that I can live. And I'm crying because there's somebody out there that doesn't know that their life is about to get really messed up. And I am going to live because of that. Wow. What do you say to that? So we just stopped for a minute and we just had some quiet time and then we started praying for this family that didn't know that their life was about to change. A few days later, the doctor came in and, and uh, looked at me, and I said to him, I said, okay, let's get on with the show. Um, you told us yesterday that today was the day we were going to go into ICU and that she was going to get put on the transplant list. And I said, she's getting really pretty sick. And he goes, yeah, and she's going to get a lot sicker. I said, well, that's not helpful. And he goes, no, no, just, just wait. And that doctor came in like three or four times during the day, each day for the next couple of days. And finally, at the end of about the... I don't know, it was a Thursday evening. He comes in and he goes, you know what? I don't understand this. But your wife's numbers are getting a little bit better today. And I go, well, what does that mean? He goes, we don't know. We're just going to keep doing what we're doing. I said, does that mean a transplant? He goes, I don't know. 
I said, okay, well, you're the doc. I'm not. And you're the specialist, and I'm not. Next morning, he comes in, and he goes, you know what? He goes, her numbers are a little bit better today. And I go, really? I said, what does that mean? He goes, I don't know. <laughs> I said, what are we doing different? He goes, nothing. I just want to thank you, because I know that many of you um, heard about my wife's situation. We're praying for her. I just want to tell you that she's not 100% better today, but... Um, she went home. And as I left the hospital with my wife, the nurse who has seen everything came over to me and hugged me with tears in her eyes, said, we don't understand what just happened here, and we don't get to see it very often. Take your wife home and treasure her forever. I just want to tell you that, that, that I don't know how to relate to that except that for some reason... God chose to pour out that extra blessing on, on my family. I don't know why, but I'll take it. Jesus invites us to those kinds of relationships with him. Not, because not every situation works out exactly like we want it to. One of my very closest friends, his, his wife passed away recently. And man, we had prayed and prayed and prayed. And there were thousands of people praying for him and his wife. And and she passed away, and he called me while I was in the hospital, and I just put, put, sent him to the voicemail because I didn't want to deal with him. Because how could I tell him my wife was getting better and his wife had died and so many people had prayed? And Finally, I just came to... I finally, I, I finally took the call because a friend of mine said, hey, you got to take his call. And he looked at me... Or he came, he talked, said to me on the phone, and then he came in person. He said, look, he goes, God is in charge. God is in charge. We don't understand it. We don't know why. But accept the invitation to put the burden on him. So that's what I want to talk about this morning a little bit and, 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 and um, share with you. It's my own personal journey. Um, but before we do that, or as we do that, I want to tell you about something that happened last October. Um, I have, well, this last six weeks, I have had the privilege of, of doing a ministry called Summer on the Run. It inhabited your church for um, about two weeks. And I just want to say thank you to you guys for not starting construction until after we were done. Um, I know that that wasn't, wasn't a good thing for you guys, but it certainly was good for us because we had this huge water slide out here on the front lawn. And the people from Dutch Brothers over there, so there were some kids over there that walked by and said, hey, how do we get on that thing? And Pastor Tim went over and told them how to come be part of the water slide. So it was pretty cool. Um, and we took that program and we went, um, we went to Stockton. Um, down in the south part of Stockton and to Valley Community Church and the Philam Church. And I just want to tell you that God has shown up in so many ways. We have seen this one mother walked into the program with these two, two young boys. And she said, uh, I heard about this thing you're doing. Can I, what, what, what do I have to do to get my kids in here? We said nothing. Just sign this paper over here saying that you agree to let them be here and that you know, you'll come get them if something happens to them and all those kind of things. And... Um, while she was chatting with the young lady at the, um, at the front desk that we were, we had set up, some, I don't even know how it came up, but she talked about how she worshiped Satan and how what we were doing was so cool. And I was like, hmm, Satan worshiper, worshiping Jesus. I'm not sure, but it's okay. But what was cool was she dropped her kids off with us for the week. They came every day and had an amazing time. Um, you know, it was very cool. And there were lots of other things that happened that, that, that God... Um, that God worked and ministered through us. And that was very cool. 
But last October, in one of my roles, I'm the youth director for the Northern California Conference, and then in one of my other roles is I'm the youth director for the Pacific Union. And we had a large camporee last October with around, I don't know, 5,000 people at it. And uh, our speaker, his name is Meshach Sola, he, we asked him, we said, look, too often when, when, young, when people get up to preach, they never make an invitation. They never give people a chance to make a decision, especially with kids. I don't know, something, for some reason we've stopped training our young pastors how to make invitations, at least in my circle of people. And uh, so we said to him, we said, Pastor Meshach, whenever you get up to make a call or to speak, we want you to have, give everybody an invitation at the end of the sermon. And he said, okay. So the first night he gets up and he preaches, and it was dynamic. It was powerful. I mean, I just was like blown away. And when he made the call, about 550 people came forward to accept Jesus. And we were like, oh, man, this is amazing. But some of us youth directors are sitting around backstage talking after the event, and we said, you know, tomorrow night's Friday night. And uh, we're going to have a baptism Sabbath. And, you know, people just, they, they just make decisions at the spur of the moment. It's that emotional thing. You know, they come forward. They don't really mean it. Uh, maybe Friday night, how about we get him to narrow the call down a little bit so that it is uh, very specific to, um, to baptism. And we said, okay, that'll be cool. So we went to, I went to Pastor Meshach and said, Pastor Meshach, when you preach tomorrow night, I want you, when you are done, to make a call only for people who want to come forward that want to be baptized. No problem. So Friday night, program started. The sound was terrible. I was dealing with that and some other stuff backstage. And I came out around the side of the stage just about the time that he was making his call. And to be honest, I was a little, I, I wasn't happy because we had paid so much money to have the sound and everything go right and all of that. And it had gone terribly. And I was not in the right frame of mind. And I came around the side of the stage as Pastor Meshach was making a call. God showed up, and over 250 young people and a couple of adults came forward and said, we don't want to just accept Jesus. We want to go all the way and be baptized. So you would think us youth directors would have learned our lesson, right? Um, So we sat down that evening, Friday night, and we said, hey, we've got one baptismal pool, and it's 11 o'clock Friday night. I said, well, I know how to pull the ox out of the ditch and get another one, but do we really want another one? We only have seven people signed up for baptism tomorrow. So we had a long discussion about that, and finally we decided that one pool would be enough. Would you believe it? Seventy-three young people and four adults came came up the next morning and said, hey, we've talked to our pastor, we've talked to our parents, we've talked to everybody, and we want to be baptized this afternoon. God shows up when we give him a chance. And it was so, it's so cool to watch God impact our lives in the way he does. Because when, when, when the message of the gospel, when, when the message of, of grace and, and, and forgiveness of sin is, is shared, it melts us, it breaks our heart. So I just want to share that with you as we do this. This morning, um, I don't know about you guys, but I like to eat. And probably my favorite meal of the year is Thanksgiving dinner. Fancy briefcase, I know. But I like to eat. Um, Not as much as I used to, but, well, I do, but I just don't. Um, But 
This morning I slipped into my, by the way, there's one good thing about your wife being sick. Um, she doesn't get to get around the house quite as much as she would normally, so she doesn't see what I bring for sermon illustrations. <clears throat> this might have been in the, in, the, in the closet this morning. might be alive this afternoon, you never know, because I did get this out of the China Hutch this morning. But I love Thanksgiving dinner. Um, I love, like I said, I love eating. And at my house, the invitation to eat Thanksgiving dinner, it's not an incredibly hard, hard invitation to get, but it is a little bit. You almost have to be family. But I love, I love, I love food. I mean, th- just think for back for a second. I mean, it's hot outside. It's going to be 100 degrees today. By the way, we always have hammers at our house on Thanksgiving for the table because you never know who's going to show up. Um, but think towards Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving Day at our house is kind of chaotic. I get up. I'm an early riser, so I get up around 5.30, 6 o'clock, and I go out, and I make a couple of pies. That My favorite is that chocolate chip pecan pie, you know, that's what I that's what I make. I love a little bit of a pumpkin pie, which I go to Costco to get because they make them way better than I can. Um, we make turkey tacos at our house, and so and we're, we're those weird kind that we shoot the round rolls that come in the freezer um, that come from Worthington on them. They say Worthington on them, and uh, we slice that real thin. And then I take uh, pecans and cranberries and apples and Pepper's Farm stuffing mix and some onions, and we we saute that up and we put that in that pan, and then. You take the little pieces of turkey the, and you put them in and you make a little taco out of it and you put it in the oven and you bake it. You hungry yet? I am, yeah. And then, and then you know, mashed potatoes and gravy and uh, can't forget the jello salad. This one with the, with the pretzels in the bottom that are all crusty with the cream cheese and the jello on top with the fresh raspberries on top of that. You guys have that at your house? Maybe a little Waldorf salad too and all of that. In fact, this table would be so full of food, there would be no place to sit. And so we usually have to sit in the living room because there's not too much food. Um, and we would, should never be able to eat that much, but we typically do. Well, Jesus gives us the invitation to come to that kind of a meal. In Revelation 22, I started out this morning, I told you about that, the story in Revelation where Jesus invites us. He invites us to come sit at the table. And he doesn't tell you that you've got to get cleaned up before you get there. He doesn't tell you anything about other than just, please come. My righteousness will cover you. Open your Bibles with me this morning, if you would, to Luke chapter 18. There's another invitation here. Jesus is full of invitations. He, he gives those invitations out freely. There's no limit to those, to those kinds of invitations he gives us in and there's this story in Luke chapter 18, verse 18, where this rich young man comes to Jesus. And it says, and now a certain rich, a certain ruler asked him, saying, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good, but the one who is good, that is God. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not steal, 
do not murder, do not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother. He said, all these things I've done and I've kept from my youth. So when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and distribute those to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and then come follow me. Now here, is Jesus giving this man an an invitation? Yeah. He says, come, follow me. Now, did, did the rich young ruler know who he was talking to? No, he didn't. He knew he was talking to somebody that was important, that was a teacher, that was maybe like a rabbi, but he didn't know he was talking to the Son of God. Jesus didn't scold him for not recognizing him for who he was, but he pointed it out by asking him a question. I work with kids, and, and sometimes you, you're talking to a kid, and you ask them a question, and they never really listen to the question, but they gave you an answer. Ever, ever seen that happen? Well, that's what kind of happened here. Um, because he was so eager that he blurted out the first thing that came to his mind, and the rich young ruler didn't spend much time thinking about the ramifications of Jesus' question. Because Jesus said, look, have you kept the commandments, all of them? He goes, yes, I've done all of that. I I don't lie, I don't steal, I don't murder, I don't commit adultery, I don't do any of those things. I've done all of those things. I've done it since I was a little boy. It's been ingrained in me since I was a kid. Was the rich young ruler sincere? Did he really believe it? I think so. Did he live up to the church's standards? Absolutely. He was the creme de la creme. He was the best. He was one of those people that, you know, he tithed every little thing out of his garden. He tithed all of his money. He did everything just right. He followed all the ceremonial laws. Just it's interesting to note here that Jesus asked the rich young ruler about the last six commandments, which refer to how we treat people. And those are the things that can be measured outwardly. It's really easy to tell if somebody is lying sometimes, most of the time. It's easy to tell if they're murdering people or stealing. I mean, those are those things. We can measure that. On Sabbath morning, we we look really good. We show up here at church. We have on our Sabbath best. We do all of those things, and we look good, right? Yep. But what you can't see is what's going on inside. To the world, the rich young ruler looked like, like he was the best. And proudly, the rich young ruler went through that whole list of things that he doesn't steal, he doesn't lie, he doesn't commit adultery, he honors his father and his mother. But then Jesus, Jesus has this annoying way of getting right to the point, doesn't he? That was when Jesus stripped away all of his outwardly righteous garments and exposed him. In verse 22, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have, and you will have treasure in heaven, and then come follow me. God doesn't look at us the same way the world looks at us, right? If you watch TV, you know that if you don't dress a certain way or you don't use a certain product, that you're not going to be as good as somebody else. At least that's what they want us to think. When Israel wanted a king, God warned Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't look at the things that people look at. People look at outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart in 1 Samuel 6, verse 7. In this interaction, Jesus was attempting to point out an error in the thinking of his disciples. The truth of God's free grace had almost been lost sight of by the Jews. The rabbis taught that God's favor must be earned. 
That is a false teaching. You can't do anything to earn God's favor. All you can do is say, hey, here I am. I'm willing to give you myself. And Jesus says, that's good enough. The reward of righteousness they hoped to gain by their own works, thus a grasping mercenary spirit prompted their worship. From this, even the disciples of Christ were not wholly free, and the Savior sought every opportunity to show them their error. Jesus wanted the disciples to understand that everything that the world values is worthless. Power, money, fame, all of those things are worthless in God's sight. The issue facing the rich young ruler was that his heart did not belong to Jesus. Which brings up the question, how many good people will be lost because their heart does not belong to Jesus? I hear it all the time. Well, I, you know, I do all these good things for all these people. Well, do you know Jesus? No. Well, I, 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 it's okay. I, I, I've got it all worked out. I'm, I'm good. I, I do all these really good things for the, for the universe and all of that, and, and it's good. And, you know, I, I just look at them and I go, hey, let me talk to you about Jesus. And they sometimes say yes, sometimes they don't. The rich young ruler's response was he went away in tears. He, or he walked away because he didn't want to give up his heart. Sometimes we hold on to things so dearly and so desperately that we don't realize that it's by giving up those things that that we hold on so dearly that Jesus has the, t- has the opportunity to make us free. So when the rich young ruler walked away, it was just like he just said to the, you know, Jesus set the table for him. He said, he said hey, come. I, I'm giving you an invitation to my dinner feast. Come. I just want one thing from you. I want you to give me who you are. I want you to give me your heart. And this is exactly what the rich young ruler did to his invitation. He rejected it completely. He destroyed it. He smashed it. Now, I know that there are people who are good enough that could spend the next three months putting this all back together piece by piece. By the way, I might need your help after, after, after Sabbath. But Jesus, when he comes to us, he gives us an invitation, and, and we have a choice to make. We have a decision to make. Are we going to give him our heart? Are we going to give him all of us? Or are we going to try and pretend that we're just going to look good on the outside and we're going to make sure that that's good so everybody thinks we're good when in reality on the inside we're dying? All of us have to make a choice. Are we going to come and sit at the table and have the meal that Jesus had prepared for us that he talks about in Revelation? Or are we going to pick up our hammer and are we going to nail him to the cross? It's sobering to think about, isn't it? Because, I don't know about you, but I got it all together, right? (laughs) No, I don't. And neither do you. If we're honest with ourselves, we're a mess. Our lives are are, are destroyed. And many of us are just barely functioning. 
And yet we put on that outward appearance, this shell that says, I'm okay. And we put our friends and our church members at, at, at arm's length instead of saying, hey, I'm struggling. Will you pray for me? Will you help me? Will you lift me up? And we do that to Jesus too. We go, we got this, God. We got this. And I'm telling you, we don't got this. In January of 2014, when I was lying in a hospital bed in the middle of the night, the devil came into my room, and it's no joke, it's, I'm, not, I'm not making this up, but the devil came into my room and looked at me, and he, and he said to me, he said, Jesus doesn't love you, and there's nothing you can do that's going to change his mind. just telling you that's the most scary thing in the world because i've been an adventist for five generations you'd think i would have this all figured out and it took it's funny the hospital they the, the things got so i was i had a pulmonary embolism after i broke my back and things got so bad that they called the hospital chaplain at three in the morning to come see me by the way that's never a good thing that's never a good thing and it was over the process of, I mean, I asked him when he walked in, I said, excuse me, um, I'm a pastor, I'm a Seventh Adventist pastor, and, and I know all the stuff you're going to tell me. So would you mind taking your pat answers that you normally reserve for your patients and put them over here on the shelf and have an honest conversation with me about God? I asked him to leave 12 minutes later because he couldn't do it. All he could do was go his, through his little scripts that he had. The next night... Um, I was laying there in ICU, and the head chaplain came in. I don't know why they picked three in the morning to come see me, but they did. And uh, she came in, and she sat down by me on, on, in her chair, in the chair, and she said, um, Hey, I heard you had a rough, light, rough night last night. I understand that you asked the chaplain to leave. Do you want to talk about it? I said, Sure, I'd love to talk about it. I said, I don't know about you, but right now, I don't know who I am in a relationship to who God is. I said, I'm really struggling because, because I feel like the devil came to me and told me that God doesn't love me and that he, there's nothing I can do to be saved. And yet, all of a sudden, I know that's not true. I need some help here. And we chatted for a while, and she couldn't answer the question either. A week later, some friends came to visit me, and we were chatting. And I said to one of my friends, I said, hey... I'm struggling with this thing. And, and she goes, well, what are you struggling with? I told her. And she goes, oh, well, what do you think it is? And I said, well, I said, I said, I know Jesus loves me. I know that he died on the cross. I know that his blood is sufficient for all of my sins and all of my weakness and all of my frailties. I know all of those things. And I know that John 3, 6, 17 says that he's looking for reasons to save me, not to destroy me. I said, but right now, I don't, I, I'm, I'm struggling because I, I don't know how to incorporate that into my life. And, and I don't know if it's the meds I'm on or, or what's going on, but there's a real battle going on in my life. And she said, did you hear what you just said? And I said, well, yeah. I, I said that Jesus loves me, that, he sent, that God sent his son in here to die for me. He died on the cross for me. His righteousness is good enough to cover me. He wants to keep me in heaven. He doesn't want to kick me out. And all of those things. She goes, so you actually have the own, your answer already. And all of a sudden, that just that light came on in my head, and I go, wow. I mean, this is first grade stuff, right? But every once in a while, we have to be reminded about how much Jesus loves us. We have to be reminded about what he risked for us all. 
Jesus risked all of heaven to come down to this earth to live, to die, and be resurrected so that you and I can have the assurance of life everlasting. And many of us pick up our hammers and we smash the plate. We smash the invitation. Because we think maybe we can, we, well, we'll do that tomorrow or we'll do that next week or you know, maybe we, there's something going on. Our, our sins are too great. God can't forgive us. I have encountered so many teenagers who are 14, 15 years old that say, God can never forgive me. They can, he, can, he will never love me. And I go, what in the world can you have done in 14 years that could ever be bad enough that God could, could not forgive you? What can you do in 100 years that God could never forgive you for? The invitation doesn't come with strings and limitations. It's an open invitation. Jesus says, come. And he says, come to everybody. He doesn't say just to the good ones. He says, come. John D. Rockefeller had some, had some boys. And as he was getting ready to retire and to, to move on to a different stage in his life, he decided he wanted to teach his, his young men a lesson. And so he sent them to Texas to work on the oil fields for a year. And he told the, man, the guy that was going to be their boss, he said, yes, they're my sons, but if you treat them like they're my sons, I'm going to fire you. I want you to treat them like you treat everybody else for a year. Those gentlemen worked hard that year. I mean, you know, I don't know what, what working on an oil rig is like, but I've worked on a commercial fishing boat, and I know that that's pretty hard, so I'm just saying it's probably harder to work on an oil rig. And, you know, it's a dirty, hard job. It's a physical job. And just as that year was about to be over, the, the guys were sitting around um, the table one evening after supper, and one of the non-Rockefellers looked over at the Rockefeller brothers and said, So, what did you think of the year that you spent here on the oil rig? And the one brother looks and he goes, This was the best year of my life. And the worker looked at him and he goes, Yeah? It probably was, because you know, at the end of this year, you're going on to amazing riches and a life that we can never have. Jesus says to you this morning, I want to give you a life that you could never have. You don't have to accept what you've got. You can have a better life. You can have all of those things. And so, Jesus doesn't, when you, when you destroy the relationship... Jesus doesn't just say, ah, that's it. It's too bad. Every time we destroy the relationship, Jesus resets the table. He pulls out new china. Puts new crystal out. The knife and the fork and the spoon and all of that. You know what else he does? leaves the hammer on the table. Every single time we destroy that relationship with Jesus, Jesus resets the table. It's an unlimited offer. There's no expiration date. And I don't know about you, but that's good news. That gives me hope that, that in my life, that all the stuff that's going right and all the stuff that's going wrong, that as long as I come back to that relationship, that that table every day and say, Jesus, every second every day, Jesus, please be my Savior. That it's okay. He's going to reset the table. And even if I pick up the hammer and smash it, he goes, okay, I gotcha. I've gotcha. 
I got lots of plates. I got lots of plates. I don't know about you, but I don't want to live like today is all I got. I don't want to live like what I get tomorrow is all I got. I want to live like Jesus has said to me, hey, you are my child, you are my son, my daughter, and I have got eternity to give you. All I want is one thing. I want you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are such an amazing God. You let your son come down here to this earth to live, to die, and to be resurrected so that we can have an opportunity to have life eternal and to have a saving relationship with you. Thank you for your spirit that you have left here, that you have sent here to help give us guidance and to give us comfort and give us peace. Bless us as we enter into that saving relationship. We thank you so much for who you are and who you want to be in our lives. Bless us now, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.